So we're continuing to walk this summer through through the Psalms, and we're in, here in Psalm Psalm 20 today. And we'll see as we walk through this. This is a Psalm that is about uh, really a time of war as they're entering in as a nation to to confront battles, a day of trouble. And as we think about war, it is a time where in the face of war, you face your mortality. And for different people in our congregation today, depending on what you've walked through and maybe the, uh, the wars that you've experienced through your lifetime, or even those of you who have served the military, you face this in different ways and know this uh, in deeper ways than some of us who are, who are younger and haven't walked through some of those times. But you know in the face of war, there's a, a reality of our mor- mortality. There's a reality of our desperate need that hits in times of battle and war. And as the saying goes, there, there, are, there are no atheists in foxholes or in, in trenches and in that time of war because there's a desperate need that we see. We see that we are not enough and that we need the Lord. But we need to remember in not just times of war, but in all of our times of trial that we need the Lord. Uh, both in small things, little things, and, and huge things that we need we need the Lord. We need to go to Him in prayer. Even in times of those times of joy, of times of, of hilltops, mountaintops, and the times of valleys as well, we need to speak to our God. And, and at, when we studied through Psalm 19, we were reminded that we have a God who speaks. He's a God who speaks through creation, that there's never a time that He is without witness because He continues to speak about His glory through His handiwork of creation. And then He speaks through His word. He's given us his word so that we know what he would have for us and we know who he is and know who we are and we know the plan even of his rescue and redemption. So he speaks and he speaks through Jesus Christ, the one who is the word become flesh and he speaks and we too are those who are to pray and to speak back to our God. We're reminded of that in this psalm as we go from Psalm 19 to 20, we see the people speaking and sometimes our speaking, sometimes it's just 30 second prayers uh, 200 times throughout the day. Uh, and often, uh, I think more often than not, those are our prayers, often those short prayers that the Lord calls us to throughout the day. And then sometimes we're drawn into longer prayers in our need, but we need to pray. And just in context, as we look at the context of this psalm, it talks about the day of trouble. And again, this is most likely that day of battle, a day of the nation of Israel going into war, and there's this corporate prayer that happens, that the people gather together to pray, and it, it is a bit of a liturgy. When they, they enter into a time of war, they're like, what do we do? It's a time of war. Well, we, we pray Psalm 20, we sing Psalm 20, and as a people, they would do that, and it's a prayer for the king that you'll see, the king who represents the people and goes into war in front with the people, and there's this prayer for deliverance. And it's rooted in this great confidence of who our God is as they pray. And they pray for deliverance in battle. And the people rise up together and they pray and intercede with the king as he goes to pray as well. And he goes to offer sacrifices as they enter into war. And they, they pray together. And then verses 6 through 8, there's a little bit of a shift as we get down to there where it goes from, from first person plural to first person singular. As there's one person speaking and this is either the king praying or maybe the priest that's standing in and interceding for the king. But either way, there's, again, great confidence that the Lord's going to hear the prayer and that he's going to deliver them and that they are going to be rescued in this time. One thing that I found helpful, just to kind of paint the picture, because 
We, we think of these, sometimes we just read them, or we don't think of the context of a nation coming to pray these things and sing these things together. And uh, Dr. Alan Ross, who I've mentioned before, has a, a three-volume commentary on Psalms. He paints this picture of the scene that we might see of a nation coming together and praying this prayer. It says, before the battle, David, King David, again, this is a psalm of, of King David, he came to the sanctuary to pray. He brought the burnt offering and the meal offering to the memorial. When the animals were sacrificed, it was placed on the altar. And while the smoke ascended as a pleasing aroma to the Lord, David stood at the corner of the altar, petitioning God for victory. While he was praying, the congregation, they would gather together in the courtyard and intercede for him. There were their words clearly display a great expectation in which they pray an expectation praising the Lord for victory, the victory that's going to be won. So this is the picture that's going on as we kind of dive into this. And these are prayers of the people, a corporate prayer. And I think as we think of this too, we're reminded that um, both then and now as we follow after God, we don't do this alone. We don't do this in isolation. And the king didn't go into war alone, but the people gathered together and they prayed together. And as we face battles and we face trials and we face difficulties, even now we're not to call to do those alone in isolation but we come together and we do those together and we pray for one another together. Sometimes, though, we don't let each other know what to pray for, so we don't know what to pray for, but we're called to gather and to pray that together. And may we do that even better as we think about these things. So let's walk through this psalm. Uh, the first part, we're going to just there's a question being answered of how. How do we pray when we face difficult times? How are we to pray when we face these troubled days? And then what is the foundation? What is the foundation of our hope in troubled times? And then just kind of a final push that we're called to continually pray. So let's look at this and begin in verse 1 as we look at how are we to pray when we face difficult times. And the first thing we see is we should be quick to pray and to look first to God. May the Lord answer you. This is verse 1, Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. So this day of trouble, this day of battle, the people pray and they're quick to go to the Lord. And we see the king that he intercedes for the people as well. And as they enter in this time of battle, what do they do? Again, they go to the Lord. When all seems to be lost, what do we do? Uh, we're called to look to the Lord. But not just in times where we, all seems lost, but in every day, uh, moment by moment, step by step, we're called to turn our face to the Lord and go to him in prayer, when we face obstacles, what do we do? We're, we're called to, to go to the Lord in prayer. And not just, again, sometimes as I first looked through that, I think I was thinking of just big things. But there's so many things throughout our life we're called, our first call is to look to the Lord, to look to God. Not just when we face Goliath, which we should do, but when we just face um, those things that we think, ah, I can do this on my own. I probably, I've got this, I've got this. Instead, we're called to, to look to the Lord and as a community come before the Lord and, and say those 30-second prayers that are still faithful prayers, asking the Lord to walk with us. So we look to the Lord. So they begin. It's a day of trouble. They go to the Lord in prayer. And then it says, may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May the name of God, the God of Jacob, protect you. And in this, we see that they're resting on the character and the works of God. They speak about the name of God. Uh, our God, he's not a God who's aloof, who is far off, but a God who's given us his name, even his personal name, his divine name, that name of the Lord, of Yahweh. 
and they would call on that name. And the God who's the God of Jacob, and they looked in the past that he's the God who has been a part of that people. That he established them through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. who had been working through the ages for his nation. And they remember those things. They remember the name of God. And when we speak of the name of God, we're speaking of the works and the character of God. All that God is. All that, all that he is and all that he has done is wrapped up in the character or the name of God. A couple weeks back when we were in Psalm 19, we talked about the glory of God. And we talked about how Moses, one time he said... May your glory pass by me. And the Lord says, well, I, I will, my goodness will pass by you. And when he did, when the Lord passed by Moses, he declared who he was. And we read that. I'm going to read that again from Exodus 34, 6 through 7, where the Lord God passes by Moses and just says, this is who I am. And we need to be reminded of, the, again, the character and the works of our God when we go to him in prayer. And the Lord says, as he passes by Moses, he says, The Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Again, remember, he leads out. God, who am I? Well, I'm merciful and gracious, slow to anger, full of steadfast love. And it's that, that love, that's that hesed love, that stubborn, loyal love. And he keeps his steadfast love. He says, God says, Keeping steadfast love for thousands, for thousands of generations. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But he doesn't stop there because he's still a God who is just, who rightly punishes sin and wickedness and deals with wickedness in this world. And he says, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And remember, as we talked about that, how there's this comparison of his, his grace and his mercy and his loving kindness going out for thousands and his justice just to the third and second, the second, third and fourth generations. And just that comparison of God's love is just so great. We need to think on the, the character and the works of our God. Might we remember these things? Might we as we face trials, both big and small, we, we remember who our God is. And may we think back to the way that the Lord has worked in our life in different times in his faithfulness in small and big ways. And also a reading of saints of old, uh, of the ways that they walked with the Lord and their huge challenges and even and suffering that they endured and yet the Lord's provision for them. And we need to be reminded of those things. Look to the past of how the Lord has worked. And then we continue in verse 2, and we, we pray for God to intervene. We pray for him to intervene and even just make his presence known amongst us. So may he send, may he send help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Send help. Lord, send us help, they pray. They say, give, give your help, send your help from the sanctuary, from Zion. As they're praying this, he's praying that from the tabernacle from the temple, from Zion, from Jerusalem. That's the place where the Lord had designated to, to set aside a place that he would show himself to his people, that he was with his people, that he was in their midst, and a place for them to go to worship him and to go to offer sacrifice to him. So it represented the presence of God amidst his people. So that was the tabernacle in Jerusalem. And in there was, in the tabernacle, and when they built the temple, there was the Ark of the Covenant that represented, again, the presence of God, where he would reveal himself to his people, and they would offer sacrifice there. And so they pray that the Lord will send help, that he will send his presence, that he would be with them. And this may even be a prayer that the Lord would allow them even to take the Ark of the Covenant 
the war with them, just that representation that God is with them, and they pray for that. They pray that the Lord would be in their midst. And it's a prayer of God to intervene. It's a prayer of God to be with them. And we're reminded, as we've talked about Psalm 19, that our God is a God who speaks, but he's also the God who is with us. That's one of the great things about our God. He's a God who speaks and he's a God who is with us. And they pray for this, that he would send his help with his people. And we read throughout the scriptures of a God who is with us. That's not, again, not aloof and far off, but with us. Even this week, there's a couple times this week where uh, before one of our children went to bed and even in the middle of the night, um, there was a verse that, we reminded one another of is Isaiah 41 10 says fear not for I am with you do not be dismayed for I am your God I will help I will strengthen you and help you I will uphold you with my righteous right hand he's a God who is with us I think of Joshua in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament chapter 1 verse 5 where Joshua he's going to get they're going to go into the promised land and what does God say to him it says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So he's the God who's with us. I think in the New Testament, in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, he, he reminds the people that the God of the Old Testament, he's still the God today, and he's the God who is with you. And in Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can be confident, we can confidently say, the author says in Hebrews, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? So the, again, reminding the people, and reminding us, our God is a God who is with us. I think of John 14, in the Gospel of John 14, uh, speaks of, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, and he says, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to leave a helper with you, who will be with you. This is from uh, chapter 14, 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it is neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, and he will dwell with you and will be with you. And will be, yeah, and will be in you, not just with you, but in you. Um, so the Holy Spirit is with us. We're reminded of these things. So oftentimes when I pray for other people um, who are walking through suffering and through those days of trouble, and even for myself, I will pray, Lord, will you just show your presence? Will you manifest your presence to, to so-and-so today? May you show them your grace. May you demonstrate their grace, your power, your love, your salvation. And it's amazing how the Lord shows up in just different ways where he, he reveals to us that I'm here, I'm listening, I'm with you. So something that we can pray in the days of trouble the Lord would just manifest his presence and be with us. Verse 3, we see we come to, to God in prayer based on the sacrifices that Jesus made for us on our behalf. And we're reminded as we look at these Old Testament psalms before Christ, um, that there are many of them that are these royal psalms that speak about the king. And we see in the New Testament that often these royal psalms, the New Testament authors they connect them directly with Jesus. And we're reminded that Jesus is the one who is the king forever, who is on the, the, in the line of King David. And he fulfills these things. So we remember as we read these that they point us forward to, to Jesus. So let me read verse 3. May he remember 
all your offerings and regard with and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. So here, the people pray. They they pray, um, continue to pray on behalf of the king, um, that the Lord would remember that He would take notice, that He would take notice of their off, His offerings and His burnt offerings and sacrifices that He's bringing before the Lord, and the king He's in here He's seeking. He sought to be faithful, to be faithful to the Lord and to the law and bringing sacrifices and offerings before the Lord God. And he desires, the king desires to be right before the Lord. He desires to, to bring these sin, um, these, these offerings of sin atonement before them and to give himself fully before the Lord God. And he brings these sacrifices and these offerings demonstrating his dependence and his faith in the Lord God and his need for them, his demonstrating that it's the Lord alone who will rescue, who will redeem, who will protect, who will bring ultimate salvation for, for the people. And that's shown through these sacrifices and this worship. And the people pray on behalf of the king that God will recognize them, that he will accept these offerings and take them. And the people in this, they're expressing and accepting, uh, expressing to God just this expression of, of their own weakness. Um, of their sin, of their unworthiness, of their neediness before God. And they cry out to him for help, that he would intercede and that he would listen. And on this side of the cross of Christ, we're reminded of the hope that we have and the salvation that we have and the rescue that we have in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us. That perfect sacrifice, that perfect lamb of God who was fully God and fully man and died on the cross for us that we might have new life, that we can have forgiveness of sin. He has that sacrifice that stepped in for us. Recently, I've been reading in the Gospel of John, and in that I've been reminded, just as I've been reading through that, how Jesus often says our call of obedience is to believe in him. That's our call of obedience. That's our, our walk of obedience is to believe in him and believe in the, the one who God sent, God the Father sent to be the perfect sacrifice, to be the lamb of God who would, who would take away the sins of the world, who one who, the one who died in our place and in whom we have hope and victory in him. So we have one who is a perfect sacrifice for us in whom that we can rest and we can drive and draw near to the Lord in prayer. I think of in Hebrews 10, just that we're able to come with confidence before the throne of God because of that sacrifice. And then verse 4, kind of walking through this, you continue to remember as we are in the day of trouble, or even in days where we think we can, we can do it, but we need the Lord. We can pray for God's plan through King Jesus to be fulfilled. We pray for God's will to be done. Verse 4, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Again, they're praying for the king that represents the people and they pray that all of the, the desires and the plans and the counsel of the king will be fulfilled. That they would find, that he would find success. And success here in, is in view of that of in battle. And we can continue to pray. I think of how Jesus and the disciples said, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, in verses 9 and 10, Jesus begins to teach them. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can, we can continue to pray that they would continue, that God would continue to bring about the fulfillment of his redemption plan of King Jesus. 
And as we think of even that prayer of your kingdom come, your will be done, it's a prayer that God would rule in our life, but not just in our life and our hearts, but that it would go out through even through us and continue to spread through all peoples and all places this rule of King Jesus. And it's also a prayer of of God that God would bring to completion what Christ began and that he would come again as he will and that we pray that there will be that completion of his restoration of all things, of a new heaven and a new earth and the visible eternal reign of King Jesus and that we would be able to enter into those things and we're able to come and pray and ask that the Lord would continue to fulfill and bring about the fulfillment of all of his plans through King Jesus. And then verse 5, when you face times of trouble, we can pray with confidence and joy as we look to the salvation of our God. Verse 5, may we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. So here, again, the people continue to pray and there's this confidence and this joy wrapped up in the anticipation that God's going to answer these prayers and he's going to bring about he's going to bring about victory. There's a prayer, let us shout for joy at your victory, God. There's this anticipation of victory that's going to happen and they're going to respond as they see the Lord deliver them and bring about deliverance and victory at the hand of the God and the and the, the mighty hand of God delivering them. And they're going to wave their victory banners. When the king returns in victory. And they're already rejoicing in what is going to happen. There's just this strong, strong confidence in the victory of the Lord. And there's great joy poured out. And there's this strong, strong faith that the Lord will protect them. And there's a people, there are people of hope resting in the Lord. And, and for us too, we rest in the victory that's found in our king. In King Jesus who's who died, but then rose again, demonstrating his victory over death and over sin and over Satan. And there's great celebration that we have because we don't have a, a king who is in the grave, but one that has risen again. And there's victory found in that. So we can celebrate that now together. And even that's one of the reasons why we celebrate the Lord's Supper weekly. It's, it's that waving of that, va- that banner of victory of King Jesus. That we're reminded together that he is risen, that he died, but he rose again. And wave that banner, that victory banner as we take of the bread and take of the cup. And remind one another that we, we serve a risen Savior who died for us and there's victory. So we were reminded of those things. And, and we're reminded of things like even, uh, I, this was initially part of my notes, but I wrote them in later on. As I was thinking about Romans 5. There's this passage where it just talks about the death of Christ and the victory that we have in him. And I just wanted to read some of those verses just to remind us of those as we think of the victory and the confidence that we can have now. Um, even when we struggle and sin, we're reminded that even when we, we wanted nothing to do with Jesus, that he died for us. Romans 6, or chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were, while we were still weak, At the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, showing his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him 
from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, that we were made right, we were restored into a right relationship with God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We've been made right with God. It's a done deal. It doesn't get taken away. If he loved us when we were sinners, goodness, when we rebelled from him, he loves us now as we are those who have put our faith in him. Maybe you're at a place where you're even wrestling with, what do I do with Jesus? Um, I encourage you, even this morning, to think upon what does it mean to follow after Christ? And Jesus says, repent and believe, turn from yourself and your sin, and put your faith in me as your Lord and Savior in this victory and forgiveness as found in him. So there's this gospel message in here. And then as we continue, so we've seen all these different things that we are called to do in days of trouble. How do we pray? But then we need to be reminded, what is our foundation of our hope during difficult days? We see that in verses 6 through 8. Verse 6, really, our hope is found in that victory of Jesus that we've talked about already. It says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven, from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. So here, there's this prayer. Again, it switches to first person. Either the king is praying here or the priest who's interceding for the king. And there's a prayer that breaks forth that the Lord would save his anointed. That he would save the king. That he would save the one that represents his people. That represents all the people. And there's a strong word of confidence. It says, I know. This begins, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. The one that he's set apart to represent and rescue his people, the king. So there's a strong prayer that the Lord will rescue, that the Lord will save. And he does save. And we need to be reminded of these things. And also we do look forward. It's these kings of the, the, in the line of David, they all point forward. We're pointing forward to Jesus, King Jesus, the anointed one. The one who is the Messiah. The one who is the Savior. The one who is the anointed one of God who did die but rescued us and rose again, bringing salvation and victory. And one thing that keeps coming to my mind as I've been just wrestling through this text this week is the scene of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he prayed these prayers to the Lord God. This is from Mark 14, verse 34 and 36. And Jesus, he says to the disciples... My soul is very sorrowful, even to death, to remain here and watch. And at going a little farther, he fell on the ground. Jesus fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane that that this cup would pass by, and he's speaking about the cross. That if it possible that the cross and him receiving the punishment for the sins of the world, that it might pass by him. If there was another way to bring about the redemption of all people in the kingdom, he said, may it be. But it didn't pass by. It didn't pass by him. But Jesus was arrested, he was beaten, he was crucified. On the cross. And outwardly it seems. It might seem like Jesus was defeated. 
that the anointed wasn't saved. But we know that that's not the case. Because we know that the Lord Jesus died, but later he was resurrected. And he gave proof that he was the son of God. That he was raised again. That there is great rescue and there is life and deliverance in Jesus. Even while Jesus was on the cross, there were those who mocked him and said, well, you're the son of God, you're the the king of the Jews, save yourself. But Jesus chose not to save himself, but through his death and his resurrection to save us. When we turn from our sins and trust in him, there's rescue for us. So there's only, in the cross, only apparent defeat of the anointed one because we know that there's actually great rescue and subsequent eternal joy that comes through Jesus. And as we've talked in the book, as we walked through Ruth, and even as we looked at 1 Peter, we're reminded there's so many times where there's suffering and yet glory, that often the Lord takes us through crucibles of trial, but then through that to bring um, great rescue for us, even rescue of ourselves. And as we look at all of our suffering in light of eternity, that we know the Lord is doing a great work in us. And we think of, of Jesus who says in, in, gospel, in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, I've said these things to you, that you may have peace. In this world you may have trouble, you may have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We need to be reminded of those things, not be rattled by the day of trouble. Be reminded that Jesus is victorious. And then verses 7 and 8, and these probably are the most familiar verses, if you're familiar at all with this psalm. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. So here, there's this prayer that goes out that, that some trust in chariots and horses, but we don't. We trust in the Lord. He is the one. He is the one who was the foundation of all of our hope. And now, during that time, the number of horses, and chariots you had in the ancient Near East for your army, that demonstrated your power, your military power. Uh, because if you had chariots and horses, you had the cavalry. I have to say that really carefully, cavalry and not cavalry. So um, I was worried when I became part of Calvary Derby Hill, I would say the cavalry Derby Hill, but I've worked it out. So, but, so, but chariots and horses, they can just plow through foot soldiers, right? Uh, so it's a demonstration of your power. If you have chariots, you have horses, you have power. They're saying, hey, we don't trust in those. Those are not our hope. And even the Lord God, earlier in Deuteronomy, um, the Lord told his people that when you enter the promised land and I establish a king for you, that king is not to accumulate horses and power. Like that is not where your power is. In Deuteronomy 17, verse 16, the Lord God said to his people, only he, the king that the Lord appoint, must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way. But there's also a call, that call of not resting in the military might, but in the Lord. Now for us, I don't know about you, but I don't own any horses or chariots. <laughs> um, so we don't today rest in and horses and chariots, but there's so many things that we can turn to to rest in and to turn our hope to. And it might be things like trusting in our savings account or trusting in 
or building of a retirement account or trusting in insurance or trusting in political leaders or political parties or uh, even just working out. Sometimes we trust in that if our body's healthy or if we have really good eating habits and we have a lot of kale salad throughout the week. We're like, I could trust in this. Or maybe we trust in our hope or, or I'm sorry, in our wisdom or maybe we trust in our spouse or in our kids or maybe we trust in technology or security systems or whatever it might be. Uh, we're not called to make that our main rest and trust. And at the same time, though, uh, it's not saying that we don't in wisdom save money because the proverb in Proverbs it says it's wise to save money. It doesn't mean that we don't wear seatbelts. It doesn't mean that we don't go to the doctor when we're sick. It doesn't mean that we don't have life insurance. But we don't make those things our greatest hope. Those aren't where we rest our life in. And it's not just in big things, but in small things as well. The Lord reminded me of that this week. Um, as there, I was struggling with something, and, and I, I was not praying. Well, I was praying about it, but I wasn't really convicted to ask others to pray for me in it. I was just kind of resting. And I, over about three-week period, maybe four weeks, I've been having, I had, was having issues with one of my ears where it was stuffed and they cleaned it out then I was continuing to have pressure and starting to have humming and resonating in my ear and um and I went back to the doctor this week and he gave me me some medicine and I was just praying that that would work and I was reading through this and I thought I need to I'm just kind of hoping that this medicine works but I'm not really resting in the Lord in this and I'm not even asking people to pray for this so I reached out to several people and said hey can you pray for me in this that that the Lord would heal and I was just thinking, sometimes we will rest in this solution, or I think I'm strong enough to, to do this or work through this, but we need to be reminded in those things not to rest in ourselves or rest in the medication we're prescribed, but go to the Lord God and intercede that he would, by means of all these things, bring deliverance and bring rescue. And by God's grace, even, uh, even the day where I kind of shot out a bunch of text messages asking people to pray, the Lord has given relief and bringing healing and been better than I've been in four weeks, so praise the Lord. He uses the means of prayer and, and provision of medicine and things. So may we pray in little things and big things. Long prayers and short prayers, those are faithful prayers too. May our hope ultimately be rest in the Lord God uh, is the one who, who rescues in, in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And then finally, verse 9. There's just this push to, to not stop praying. O oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. It's just, it just ends in continual prayer of the people praying for rescue and deliverance. We need to be a people who continue to pray. That we don't stop praying. That we are a people who in every moment we are praying. Resting in the Lord. Being reminded of our King Jesus. Who's the one who rescues us. So may we pray again and Sometimes it's long, lengthy prayers, but a lot of times I think it's those prayers throughout the day that we that add up into really long, lengthy prayers as we go to the Lord, as we get in our car, as we, whatever it might be, that we're just praying, 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 resting in the Lord God. And we do that together as well. Again, uh, a lot of times we think, oh, I've kind of got this covered, or people don't really want to know about my struggles or know about where... What's bothering me today? It's just so little. I shouldn't ask anyone to pray, but we should do that. We should corporately pray together and ask one another to pray that we can even rejoice together when the Lord answers. 
There's great uh, joy that comes through that. That's part of God's grace. So may we grow in those things. So may we be a people, just as we think through these things, that we um, rest in our Lord God and the victory that's in Christ Jesus. And this morning, maybe you haven't experienced that initial victory of Christ, the forgiveness that's found in him, the new life in him. I encourage you to wrestle through those things and talk to one of us if you'd like to know more about following Jesus Christ this morning. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for your kindness to us and the the goodness of your word uh, that speaks. Being reminded that you even call us graciously to speak to you and to rest in you and not rest in our own strength and our own might or uh, our whatever it might be. But we're called to be a people who are dependent upon you and recognize that all of the, the safety nets you give us, they're a means of your grace. And that they're not our hope, but they point us, uh, can point us to the true hope that we have in you. And Lord, help us to be reminded of King Jesus, who, although he did indeed die, was crucified, that's not the end of the story, but that he rose again victorious. And may we be reminded that our battles and days of trouble, they're not our end destination, but they're, they're a pathway that you're walking us through and in light of eternity, we will we'll see your hand and be able to rejoice in the things that you have done and the things that you are doing. So, Lord, we thank you. Lord, make us a people of prayer. Enable us to be even humble in heart that we are willing to ask for prayer when we need it from one another, that we can rejoice together. We pray in Jesus' name.